when you try to study something like the Skinwalker Ranch, you've got to cast a really wide net because ultimately this mystery, we don't know what the hell it is. Yeah, this is 30 or 40 hours of material that the public has never seen before. So you have had to keep your mouth shut about most of what you've experienced and know because there's been sort of like a veil of secrecy over the ranch. I, I complied with it. I withheld the documentary and I just sat on the footage. Sounds to me like everywhere you go you stir shit up. We are being manipulated by some kind of an intelligence. The things that happen on the ranch are real. What we don't know is who is responsible and what the game plan is. Well, welcoming back to the show, Jeremy Kenyon Lockyer Corbell from ExtraordinaryBeliefs.com. Welcome back, Jeremy. How are you? Hey, guys. Good. Good to talk with you. That's great to have you back. It almost feels like exactly a year since you were last here. Is it exactly? It's probably pretty close, man. It's pretty close. I think it's down to within a couple of weeks. We should make this a regular thing. We, I, I good like, idea. I like having you after contact in the desert because every time I see you, in typical Jeremy style... You give us just enough information to get us really excited, but then you always have that that little kind of caveat at the end of, well, I don't know if I can talk about that yet. So really what I, what I want to find out today, Jeremy, is what you can talk about because you have so many amazing projects uh, in, in the process. And, and big news from you at Contact in the Desert is, of course, the distribution deal with Patient17. For those of uh, the, the listeners who missed you last year, can you give us a rundown of of what Patient 17 is and, and what's the deal that you've landed? Sure. But I mean, basically, let's tell the truth. You just like that after an event, I can't stop talking shit. I mean, that's basically <laughs> what you like, you know. Uh, yeah, sure. So Patient 17 is a film about Dr. Roger Lear before he passed away. Dr. Lear was the only you know, human on earth who essentially was doing legitimate surgeries to extract foreign bodies from people who went through psychological exams who did believe that they had some sort of off-world technology embedded within their bodies, within their skin. So he was the only individual taking this seriously, doing those surgeries. These were foreign bodies that definitely didn't belong there, metal usually, and should be removed. But, you know, that's not something you can just go to any doctor and say, hey, I think I've got, I have abductive experiences and this thing's in my body. So he was really taking it seriously. I was not taking it seriously. Not something that I ever thought I would cover. But sure enough, I did. And I told him at the very beginning, I said, look, if I'm going to make a film, you know, as an investigative filmmaker, if you are lying or deceiving the public, I am going to out you. Are you sure you want me to do this film? And he said, yes. So you can kind of see in my film, there's a sense of humor at first, because at first I, I really didn't know what to think of this. I just thought it was an interesting subculture of, you know, some psychological effect. I, you know, the abductive experiences seem to have a lot of legitimacy, but this whole alleged alien implant thing was really throwing me off. But as I got deeper into it, more and more bizarre things started happening. So that's my film. It's releasing October 10th, 2017. And it's a really interesting story. I mean, big questions and kind of disturbing answers, man. I guess it's the perfect way to watch your mind change on such a topic. Because I noticed that as well in in the, the small parts that I've seen that you do have that kind of playful approach at the start of the film. But what can you tell us about the implant that was taken out of patient 17 that changed your mind? What was the point in the film that made you think, oh, hang on, I'm onto something genuine here? Yeah, well, 
I, I still don't know if I am. There, we have really anomalous results, but you know, I'll back up for a second. What really uh, made me look at this differently was meeting patient 17. He was and remains the biggest skeptic throughout this entire film. He has had abductive experiences. He is sure of that. He has gone through that his entire life. But this being an implant, something put in there intentionally, that's the part that he couldn't wrap his mind around, you know, as a religious man and just as a human, as a normal guy. But we were both really taken aback when the the images were seen and there was a Gauss meter, it's called, it measures like electromagnetic frequency. You kind of like put it over a battery pack of your camera and it goes off. And sh- I, I did see this. I, I can't say that it was 100% real. It wasn't a super controlled environment, but this thing was going off when this thing, you know, over the part of his leg where this object was. So that kind of put the first twist on it. Like, what? How is that possible? You know, so unless they're misusing this device, which they certainly were misusing the stud finder to, to, to check out. Like, I mean, I was like, you'll kind of hear, if you know my sense of humor, I'm talking to the film, I'm, he's putting a stud finder over the guy's leg. And I'm like, um, do you guys have actual optics? Cause you're about to cut into this guy, you know, yeah. but, uh, what really transformed me, Dr. Lear died in the middle of the film, had a heart attack and died. And it thrust upon me the necessity of getting the sample, which was really hard to do. And I'm starting to understand why it was hard to get the sample, but to get broad spectrum elemental analysis, which tells you what it's made of, and then isotopic analysis on a few of the elements that then can show us the ratios of those isotopes. And that was turns out to be very important because isotopic ratios are homogenous on earth. They're all the same. So if you have zinc and you have four to five different parts of zinc, different isotopes, they're going to be the same. Unless you get them from the moon or from somewhere else, they are the same. And that was the twist. That was the moment that everything just really hit me. I sent it to an accredited lab. It was a blind test. They come back with an impossible result. And when you say impossible, you mean it's impossible for it to have originated within our solar system or our earth, for example. I'm saying impossible because I can't wrap my head around it. You know, (laughs) that's really what I mean. The the results were definitively non-terrestrial. This zinc was from some other part of the galaxy. In fact, it was so off the terrestrial norm, it appears to have come from another galaxy, another supernova that made another solar system. I mean, not from here. Now, there's arguments to that. Contamination. You can have cross-contamination between nickel 64 and zinc 64, and it looks like you've got one of the other. I called a the extraterrestrial zinc 64 isotope specialist on the planet. This dude that I found. <laughs> unbelievable. Found yeah, this. where was this guy? I remember this from your presentation. You tracked him down and, and found his his dissertation, you know, from 15 years ago. How, how surprised was this guy that you tracked him down? Oh, my God. He, I mean, he thought I was totally nuts, first of all. <laughs> and, you know, I'm asking these questions, and he, he's starting to get where, where I'm going at. Why, why is somebody asking me from a paper I wrote like 15 years ago? You know, he's, he's a doctor in middle America, and he did write this dissertation, and it was really specific. I mean, you can look at certain things like magnesium from the Apollo 15 moon landings and stuff like that, and get an idea of what you're dealing with. But this guy really went down the rabbit hole with Zinc 64. So 
when I ended up getting hold of him, I can stalk. I'm like a professional stalker. So I got the guy and, you know, I'm asking him and he he's basically says that the results can't be right. They, they, it's impossible for the results to be right. He wasn't denying the results were right in front of our eyes, but he says the lab is pulling one over on me, you know, which is a big conspiracy theory in itself. So I go back to the lab and I'm like, so I didn't tell you what you had analyzed. Did you see anything weird about the results? And he's, I don't know, you know, they do punch out the numbers. He's looking through it and he goes, oh, huh. And I go, so was there cross-contamination? He goes, absolutely not. I read right here. We did, you know, triple cleansing. You know, what we do, the way we do, we do this for national laboratories around, you know, the world. And we rely on our data. There's absolutely no way that we made a mistake. Of course, their reputation's at stake. Right. But he said, right, they have something, they, they do have a dog in the fight, but he basically says, I don't know what you have on your hands, but that, you know, the results are accurate. Now I'm left with a problem. And the problem is, you know, no scientific analysis is complete until you've done three, you know, from different people, different sources. So that's kind of the difficult part now is when Dr. Lear died, the custodianship of these samples have really gone into a treacherous moment. You know, who owns them, who can use them? It was hard to analyze them, uh, you know, right after he died. And so now that would be a great next step. Right now we're left with a big mystery, but really... My film is about patient 17. My film is about the people involved. The sociological aspects of the phenomenon are as interesting to me as any of these scientific aspects. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind are some of the, uh, I guess, skeptical conclusions of this being um, anything strange. Like, Was it a meteorite? Example? Yeah, that's the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, was he hit by a meteorite? I went to UCLA and I talked with a meteorite specialist who runs the meteorite museum there at UCLA. And he told me definitively, this is not typical meteorite material. This is not a meteorite. This is not something that flew out of the sky and hit him in the leg. This object was fabricated. It was machined by an intelligence. It was composed in a way where an intelligence made it. There are stranger theories, much stranger theories. But right now, all we know is we have an object that appears to have complete non-terrestriality in its isotopic structures from its a material science standpoint. And it was in a man's leg. And somehow that connection between his abductive experiences and this object, that's where patient 17 has the, the problem. He doesn't want to believe. Why wouldn't he, he calls them alien gangsters? The, the, the abduction experience. He's a, these are gangsters. You don't invite them in for pizza and a beer and say, come on in and take me. So he's really, there's fear there. And if this were to be true, his whole worldview would be shaped. Well, this is why the work that you're doing, analyzing this sample and trying to find some real uh, material, substantial evidence for what's going on is, you know, it's, it's really quite amazing what you've started to discover and also how this crosses over with the work of uh, Jacques Vallée, who of course we both saw at Contact in the Desert giving his presentation on uh, material samples that have been recovered from uh, UFO encounters and UFO sightings. Did you get a chance to catch up with Jacques at the conference and was there anywhere that your research crossed over with his research? Were you able to learn anything from each other? Oh, absolutely. We were very much looking forward to it. We have been corresponding for quite some time in professional circles. And this was 
the first opportunity that we had were to have a considerable amount of time comparing notes. So we took that opportunity and we, we spent a lot of time together and it was shocking actually, because I, I had no idea what he was coming to talk about at contact in the desert. I was going to do the opening for him, but he didn't tell me what he was talking about. And he was talking about these 15 samples that he currently has that he is doing identical elemental and isotopic analysis on as, as I'm doing with my film patient 17, or as I have done, that was really fascinating was to be able to compare notes. Cause you're talking about a man who's a giant in the field of ufology and phenomenology, because he has had more access to data sets than you and I ever will. I mean, he built the first computerized UFO system for project blue book back in the day. So this is a guy, 60 years, you know, I wanted to know what he thought, what he knew about these. And we talked about those bigger questions, but we spent a lot of time talking about the elemental and isotopic analysis of the samples that we both have. Now, we don't know if we're going to get anywhere with this, or even if it's going to be heard if we do, but it is something we are both attempting to do. And this is just one of my many projects. It's not like I got a tons of samples and look, most people lie. Most people drank some Kool-Aid and are crazy (laughs) when it comes to this. And you have to know that. You have to know that. But there are real cases. There are real trace cases that you can analyze. Now, I am skeptical of how far we'll get with our ability in material science. Every year, the the mechanisms to, to analyze and interrogate these samples get better. So I hope we can learn something from this. Is this going to be smoking gun, case closed? Of course not. But will this chip at the wall? Yes, it will. And so, yeah, that's we, we had a lot of time to talk about that. And the bigger questions, the bigger questions about, you know, what I call the phenomenon, which includes UFOs. Can you share any, any of that? I know this is a private conversation, but, you know, we're really intrigued with where Jacques is, especially for someone who's been involved in the phenomenon for decades. I'm really intrigued as to where his worldview would have landed after all this time. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously you have a private conversation and, you know, you're not expecting to put that on radio, but there, there are certain things that I think are appropriate. So absolutely. I mean, one of the things for me that, that was so most impactful, I mean, so we're sitting at my ranch and we're looking out and the sun's coming down. We're kind of losing track of time because we're talking. And I just kind of finally turn to him and say, look, what is this all about? Out of the 60 years, whatever, that you've been accessing the, this data silently, because Jacques does draw a circle of silence around him and, and he stays within it. So, I, you know, what what is this really? And, and here are my questions. I said, these are my big questions. And I asked him and he just kind of took a moment and he turns to me and he says, you know, I have the same questions that you do. And at least at this young age, you are asking the right questions, which most people simply aren't. And I just look at him, I go, well, that's fucking depressing. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was going to be able to tell me something. I mean, you know, just as enchanted by the strangeness, the absurdity, of the phenomenon, which includes UFOs, I I was really dwindling it down to what do we know about UFOs? 
I'm trying to make a list of 10 and I'm, I'm going to write this up. And after about a month, I've got one. I know one thing that is for sure true about UFOs. And, and that is that what we see as UFOs, what is displayed to us as UFOs, what is displayed to our military and the militaries of the earth as UFOs represents a huge amount of power in a small contained amount of space. We know that. We have scientific evidence for that. Anything else? It's your guess at this point. I'm actually not surprised at his answer because, you know, it's clear from looking at Jacques' work that he was one of the very first people to acknowledge, you know, a term that's often thrown out, like the high strangeness or, you know, I would say the metaphysical nature of the UFO phenomenon. Yeah, the non-physical nature of it. And, you know, it's something that we're constantly aware of on our show because we cover so many different topics is that really, I think, to get a better understanding of what's going on, you have to start branching out into things that are beyond the UFO field. You have to start understanding human consciousness and the, the reality of multiple dimensions and that the, our physical world is not the limit of the, you know, what we see. of existence in this, this cosmos. I mean, we really are limited. That's where the evidence leads you. I mean, that's what's so astounding. There are three things that, that I've learned from Jacques that I do want to say, but you're absolutely right. That is what is astounding. When you really look at the evidence, look, it's easy for somebody to say to another person these days, I saw a UFO. I saw a silver disc. Okay. Well, I have found when you start really asking people in private, you get beyond that, what they saw, what was shown to them. There is almost always a much deeper story that is so esoteric. It is so bizarre. It has to do with, you know, temporal dislocation, a dilation of time space. It has to do with memories and dreams and spirituality. There is always something deeper, but people do not feel comfortable reporting that because you're it's gonna you're gonna completely dismiss what they're telling you if they tell you the truth. And that is where big organizations really end up missing the mark is they just want to know what shape, what size, what color, where was it in the sky and, and okay, how fast did it go? No. No. What, 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 is, what is actually happening is much different. There's a reinforcement pattern in these objects. So, so if I had to say three things that, that I learned from, from Jacques, like, you know, just from reading his work and then also from private conversations, if I put them all together, I'd say it's, I guess, origin, reinforcement and manipulation. And what I mean is origin. You know, he was the original person that said he wrote a book with J. Allen Hynek saying, the extraterrestrial theory. He quickly abandoned that theory when he realized the evidence did not support that any longer. So origin, I have learned from Jacques' work that we cannot assume that what we're engaging, this intelligence that's engaging humanity is extraterrestrial. But by definition, if they travel from another planet, they're distorting space-time by getting here. So they're time travelers. Okay. So they're extra-temporal. And then with extra-dimensional, People like to throw that out. It's kind of like chakra. Okay, well, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, we have no scientific way to even begin to perceive that right now. So we have to, we have to put that to the side for a minute. So that the origin of the phenomenon is something that we cannot know at this time. 
The second thing I mentioned was reinforcement. Uh, he really named this the control system. Back in the day, he alluded to this in a lot of interviews. There's one in 1978 from uh, Fate Magazine that really draws a, a clear picture of what he meant by the control system. It's a great article. People should look it up. But you know, he brought this to us decades ago. So, so here we are now further along the line. There, there was Charles Fort who suggested that we are property that we're livestock, you know, owned by entities or manipulate us, uh, you know, both in the macro and micro, that idea. And that's a scary idea. And Jock never said that. He never said we are property, but he, he did speak of the control system and, you know, the system being consistent with kind of intervention, manipulation, and, and a display of sorts. UFOs appear and, and some sometimes it seems to be meant to like generate a reaction from people, almost like there's a feeding off of the reaction, which is something that I'm starting to really look into. So that's the reinforcement. There, there's this pattern that you can start to see both in sightings. If you put them all in a catalog, there's a great book on that called UFO Sightings Desk Reference, and it shows you in every state in America what the sightings were every year. There's a pattern of reinforcement. Apparently, you know, Wednesday nights are really good to see UFOs. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's crazy. Aaron's writing all these down, by the way. Well, yeah, even yeah. The, with the Wednesday night thing, wasn't that something that was, uh, who did that? Was it Keel? John Keel identified that paranormal events were more likely to happen on a Wednesday or something. Well, the, the, we actually, there's a lot of people came to that conclusion. It's kind of like, you know, the, a lot of things in, in the world, like the cure, you know, the, the medicines for HIV and understanding HIV, there was these simultaneous, you know, discoveries. So this idea of the phenomenon expressing on Wednesday nights, I mean, they don't care. What I, I can't imagine they care. We're revolving around a sun. I mean, Wednesday. I mean, the day <laughs> of the week. Does that really? What is the cosmological understanding of Wednesday? I I have no idea. Anyway. It's weird. I don't know who came up with it, but the evidence and the data does show it, so we have to pay attention. The the third thing I just want to mention, I said, I said manipulation, and I think this is a really important one right now because noise is the new black. I mean, it is a problem. There is right now, currently, there is an attempt to distort understanding. It is a refurbished and brand new attempt, and it's being successful perpetrated by a lot of the same people. So the manipulation idea, UFO disinformation is real. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And it's a threat to our understanding. I mean, Jacques talked about it in Messengers of Deception. He exposed agencies, you know, messing and manipulating with our understanding of UFOs, with disinformation and misinformation. Yet at the same time, and very importantly, these agencies have and are studying the UFO problem in secrecy. So we have that dichotomy there. And, and there appear to be multiple forces, government and maybe even cosmic you know, that seem to use different levels of manipulation to dismiss or confuse the public. And this is something that if you look, you can see there's a, there's a bigger game being played. Uh, you need to, yeah, the information distortion. I mean, nobody's free from that type of influence. Well, let's, let's stay on that for a moment. I was going to come back to this towards the end of our chat with you, but I think this is a nice segue into it because I remember from your presentation at Contact in the Desert, one of the first things you, you said is that to be a, 
uh, a good filmmaker or a good researcher in this field is you need to have a very good bullshit meter. You need to be able to detect it and decipher it. And there's a lot out there. And, you know, on, on the topic of manipulation, uh, you know, this is something that we're, we're really keen to, to try and decipher ourselves. Uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about is it seems as though that kind of BS factor is really uh, ramping up in, in the field. And I, I don't know if you've noticed this as well. Maybe it's just my perception from, you know, going to contact in the desert last couple of years. But I, I feel like there's a, a much larger following of some really, really insane ideas that aren't really based on something even as you know, as amorphous as eyewitness reports. It's really just people are just following these insane fantasies. One of the things that comes to mind is uh, David Wilcock and Corey Good talking about these blue avian beings (laughs) quarantining the galaxy and finding hidden cities in Antarctica. Just, you know, just basic, um, you know, movie scripts and and people are believing that it's true. But on a more serious note, we're seeing uh, the popularity of uh, Stephen Greer, you know, drawing a huge crowd at at Contact, and, and you know, you and I spoke about his recent documentary, Unacknowledged, and I, I remember telling you at, at dinner, saying, "Look, the first two acts of this kind of three act documentary are very good, but in this final act, you know, Greer also talks about manipulation, but his idea, his belief is that there's there's some kind of impending." false flag event that's going to occur and it's really the evil humans that are the perpetrators of this and they're on this mission to convince the 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 rest of us the human world that the aliens are evil when really they're our wonderful friends i wanted to pick your brain on this because i felt like we may our thoughts may cross over a little bit what are your thoughts on this idea of some kind of grand um, false flag event that Greer talks about. Yeah. I mean, look, he's just the worst. (laughs) 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 That's it. I really really don't know what to say. It is. It should. The only reason he can be the worst is because we allow him to be the worst. He is an exposed fraud, an exposed fraud. There's no excuse anymore. You can say a little bit of truth and then start putting this megalomaniac egoism into it. And if you don't catch that and if you don't see the crocodile tears and you just oh. want to – yeah, in the movie. Why was he crying? Oh, okay, so we, for our audience and Aaron, you, you haven't seen this. No. So in the documentary, in the new one, Unacknowledged, there's a point where Greer is clearly trying to cry. He's being uh, either the producer is telling him or he thinks it's a good idea. But in the production, you can tell that they've spliced together four or five different attempts or takes of him trying to cry. And it is just like Jeremy named it perfectly, the crocodile tears. It is just the most absurd thing you've ever seen. God, at least spray yourself in the face with capsicum spray or something to try and... <laughs> it's so cringy, man. Yeah, that was a tragic moment in filmmaking. <laughs> and I, I, I would I would like to just say, I think the film itself, I know the producers, they are tremendous. And I think they have done a huge service to the UFO 
actually they did a huge service to 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 filmmaking in getting the basic two acts out there of the film because yeah. what you have is a really straightforward information data set there in the film however th- there are inaccuracies in it and the majority of the movie is b-roll or vintage footage it's it, you know th- whatever it does tell a basic story, but there are inherent lies in that story to support the ending. Oh, yeah. So there, if if you watch it with you know through through an eye loop, there are setups to the ending, inherent lies. And he knows better. I mean, that's the thing. He knows better. So this is all you know. Look, it's a it is a game. It's whatever is going on. But but essentially, yeah, the, 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 there is something tremendous about the film. You know, it'll pave the way for, for, for more people to be interested and engage a topic. It will be up to them, though, to look at what they're seeing and witness it as it is, not how they want it to be. And then you have there the, the reality. You got people that are truly interested, that have had a profound experience, and they're looking for answers. First thing you should do is run away from a UFO conference these days. Just run away. Get away. Don't get near it. <laughs> and, and then there are a few people I would trust to document your story. So I'll say right here on your show, guys, if somebody has a real experience and they want to tell their story, if not to me, I can tell you a couple people to talk with that I implicitly trust with not twisting your story to their benefit and that's what you're seeing with Greer and that's what you're seeing with all the other people you named is they are making shit up, lying, flat out lying. Yeah, look, we've always said over the years that, that Greer clearly has some kind of agenda. And I think that really struck me many years ago when we saw a presentation by Dr. Carol Rosen. And the fact that she's trying to claim, remember how she was trying to push peace in space, Ben, this yeah. initiative to stop the proliferation of de-weaponized space. Yeah, de-weaponized space. So immediately I went and bought the domain weaponized space because I thought that we need to actually promote that because it was just so ridiculous. It was one of the most ridiculous things I've seen. And it was all based on the fact that she claimed that she was sitting in her bedroom and Grays appeared and told her all of this. And this is why she's so important to get the word out there. It was just utter bullshit. And I was surprised that people sat there going, oh, Wow. Well, it's Rosen is one of the sources for this idea of a kind of false flag in, of invasion perpetuated by human beings running special access projects. But the other big uh, source for this is Richard Doty. Oh, God. Uh, oh, who, I'm not familiar with him. Well, Doty, uh, who was brought to light from the, the guys that did Mirage Men, you know, the book and the documentary. Yeah. Uh, Doty was, his his job was, I, th- I believe it was Air Force Intelligence. Correct me if I'm wrong on the details, Jeremy, but, you know, his job was disinformation. Oh, he, admi- he admitted to it. Yeah, of, co- of course it was. Yeah, I mean, I can give you the basic briefing. This really, I was sitting with Jacques, actually. We had to go in because he was going to speak next and, you know, I don't want to even mention his name anymore. The guy kept talking over his time limit or whatever. And we went in there and I had told Jacques that the that the problem has renewed itself and that people were not aware. And I don't know if it, how much he really believed that. And we're sitting there and the final point, the final conclusion, you know, to Greer's little presentation there was essentially, which wasn't as well attended as I thought, by the way, which is funny, but okay. it, it ended up, it ended up being this guy on the screen testifying. And 
I just kind of, I'm looking at Jacques, like thinking, is he going to realize who that is? You know, is he going to say something? I'm just trying to look for a reaction. And he turns and he goes, that can't be Richard Doty, right? And I said, uh. I said, I, I told you, man. I said, I told you. And guess what? Nobody in this room really knows his history. And that's why it's happening again. So yeah, Richard Doty was a disinformation agent that dealt with a lot of officially, officially for our government to confuse the issue. Uh, a, a guy Benowitz, he actually went mad. He went, he had to go into an asylum. That's right. Be, be, yeah, because of the tricks they played on him. The you know the mo- emotional tricks they played on him, evidential tricks. I mean, they really toyed with him, and Doty was part of that. And he remains part of that. And this new reemergence of him in this field is actually much deeper than that film. So hang on, just so this is just blowing my mind. So this guy has been found out to be someone involved in disinformation, and yet Greer is using him almost as a platform to promote whatever his agenda is. It's his star witness. Yeah. This yeah. is insane. Yes, it is insane. You are absolutely right. It is insane. Aaron, he's the guy that gave us the story that when a bunch of people accidentally walked onto a UFO base, (laughs) in order to scare them, they dressed up a bunch of uh, disabled people and made them look like aliens and then sent them into the witnesses' homes to scare them. (laughs) This is the kind of stuff we're getting from this guy. It's absurd. We do. I mean, just to backtrack a second. You know, it's it's interesting. I had never heard Karen Rosen speak and say the whole gray thing, and that's interesting. You know, there there are other interesting things about her. I mean, she identified a specific building that the very famous hacking case that Gary McKinnon hacked into and allegedly saw this uh, list of non-terrestrial officers. And, and oh, car- really? Yeah. Oh, this is an important case, man. You Re- recall that, remember? I know Gary McKinnon, but yeah. I didn't know that Rosen was connected to that in that, some way. That's how he knew where to go and hack, right? So th- there are some things, you know, it's funny. You can separate the personality from the information at times, and, and it's, that's, that's important to do in general. You should do that with Greer. You should separate yeah. it. But, but, yeah. but then you have to look at the information too because that ain't evidence. That's bullshit, and there's a difference. But some of it, is 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 right some of it is is i say right some of it appears to be correct so w- there is an element to all these stories that, that that has a foundation in reality we do have space-based weapons there is in fact a secret space program we know about it it was on cnn i don't remember what's the name of the craft the b something oh the x37b yeah x37b we know there are attempts and, and a program in in place for space exploration. Now, does that mean that there's like blue birds, you know, putting you in bubbles and floating you around? Fuck no, no, it doesn't. Go home. You should go tell your story to five year olds because they, you, you know you're acting like one. Unbelievable. Now, people do have extraordinary experiences, but they're usually not the people up there just getting a cult following and making shit up every day. Yeah. So I'm just saying we have to delineate. There, there is real information out there, and it much broader. 
I like what you said about separating the information because on a certain level, I understand getting on stage and telling a crazy story about bird people uh, sealing off our, our solar system because, hey, we tell insane stories on our show every week. Of course. Uh, and we know the value of a good, insane, fun story. But we're doing it but, for entertainment. Yeah, I think it comes down to uh, intellectual dishonesty. I mean, when you're claiming that your story is the hard facts, yeah. I mean, just to go quickly back to Stephen Greer's documentary, uh, Unacknowledged, in that moment when he asks Dodie this question, he puts it in a way, it's a very open question. He asks, uh, it's a leading question. He asks Dodie, have you heard of any uh, impending false flag projects involving using UFO-like craft to pretend to be aliens? It's like a very leading question. And Dodie's answer in the film is along the lines of, um... Yeah. Oh, wow. And then it just... Wow. Uh, the next question is, well, can you talk about that? And his response is, uh, no, I can't talk about that. <laughs> and then that's the basis of the reality of this impending false flag <laughs> operation we're meant to believe in. Are people sitting there looking at this, like, what was the overall reaction you see from other people? Well, the, the people, I mean, like Jeremy's saying, it's it's you've got to run a mile away from a lot of these conferences because people have having difficulty separating the ego from the information. But, Jeremy, I mean, that's why I was so, uh, you know, happy to see you again in, in Joshua Tree is because as soon as we sat down for dinner and we started talking about it, straight away you were on the same page of just saying, oh, my God, this is just absurd. Well, it's, it's like the... It's like the elephant in the room. I mean, it's it, you just want to get it out. Like, you can't sit there and you know publicly be like what the fuck when you're there so you get away it's it's on everybody's mind now here's the deal though people come into this with sincere questions they come into this really like i want answers what's going on then, you know then you got like the woman who says she's a hybrid she got 27 off work children and she's trying to show you crystals that came out her skin and you know what <laughs> maybe that's true but it is outside the scope of my expertise to even begin examining a human body from crystals coming out of it. So I can't help you. Okay, <laughs> okay, I, that's just my stance on it. But but oh, that's a but great yeah, sample I, I think there. It's important for us, you know, both of you and for me, to to understand that that we don't know to the extent at which people are having these experiences to to a degree. And, you know, have your mind open, but don't let your marbles fall out. Use ration, use reason, go to these conferences. I mean, I'm not discouraging people from going, go. It is important. It's an important topic. There are people to listen to. There are people who are giving, you know, telling it like it is just reporting the news of what they've worked hard to uncover. That does happen. These are great things to go to. I, I enjoy going to them. It, it's fun. The people that come are really interesting, good people. I'm just saying, beware. Beware of what you're being told. It's like when I was a kid, I thought if you read it in a book, it's true because I read textbooks. And then I realized the textbooks were changing as scientists discovered new things. And I quickly learned just because it's not in a book or just because it's in a book, it's not true. It, it was a fundamental childlike mentality that I had you know, when I was young. You need to approach these things with ration and reason and if and a bullshit meter and utilize that. Utilize your gut. Listen to people and then you have to determine for yourself. You're listening to Jeremy Corbell here at Mysterious Universe from ExtraordinaryBeliefs.com. We're going to talk about Skinwalker Ranch when we come back and what Jeremy's uncovered. Stay with us. 
We're back with Jeremy Corbell from ExtraordinaryBeliefs.com. And Jeremy, at the end of your uh, fantastic presentation, by the way, at the last uh, conference, you had a great reveal at the end. You flashed up a URL, HuntTheSkinWalker.com. You revealed a brand new project. And of course, Skinwalker. I mean, what what a story. How did you land this? I guess uh, we should start with... What's your relationship to the Skinwalker story? When did you first encounter it? And, and how do you feel about the, the Skinwalker Ranch? Yeah, this has completely flipped the script for me. The, this investigation, I, putting that out at Contact in the Desert, finally, after two years of not being able to talk about it. And I'm not even somebody who had to hold a lot of this in for a long time. But, you know, I've been working on this for quite some time. To be able to present that was just this huge weight because people like you always give me a hard time. Like, <laughs> you, you stopped. What do you mean? You got to tell me more. And I'm like, I will. I will, dude. I just like, I have, you know, I can't ruin relationships or I'm going to learn nothing. I'll burn somebody. So that was a huge relief. Yes, huntthskinwalker.com. It is a new hub for information and investigation. And, it, you know, it's coming from an informed process of data dissemination. So essentially, this investigation is truly right out of the Twilight Zone or Twin Peaks, but with like some sort of clockwork orange horror twist. I mean, it's an absolutely strange and bizarre case and and story. So I'm able now to kind of go into it. I'll, I'll tell you what you asked, right? Which is how did I get started on it? I just want to tell you something that one of the people that I'm working with who has a lot of interaction with this area said to me uh, recently. And he said, if we can, if we can stop UFO people from treating the paranormal people as deranged second-class citizens, it, it might help that the fundamental problem is the human addiction to categorizing and classifying and, and putting data sets into boxes. I see what you're saying because it really is the perfect example of all of this uh, activity coming together and overlapping in a way. And of course, you know, it, it kind of forces you to start drawing connections between these things, you know, connections which you would normally not see or ignore. It, it allows you to take a sobering look at the evidence and understand that Things are far beyond. Like, look, look, guys, if I ever tell you I get to the bottom of it, take my shovel, hit me (laughs) over the head with my shovel, and tell me to keep digging. Because that is the problem. When you think you got it, you think you know, it is just there is so much more to it. So, So from my connection to the Skinwalker Ranch story, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. You know, my mentor in journalism is George Knapp, who has, he broke the Area 51 story, the Bob Lazar, the John Lear story. He's, you know, an, an incredible journalist. I mean, two Peabody's, I don't even know how, 27 Emmys or something. I mean, the guy has excellence in journalism in all topics of journalism, from the mob to religion, yet everybody knows him as the one guy who can go on mainstream media and talk really openly and do hardcore journalistic reports on the UFO topic. He has carved that path for himself when there, there, nobody else can do it. So I'm so lucky to have a mentor like him. And so obviously, you know, he wrote the book on Skinwalker Ranch. So I just pestered him and pestered him. And I was like, look, man, I know you can't talk about a lot of this. It can't go public with a lot, but there, there are things that can be done. You know, we got to do them. And, and he wants to do them, you know, but he just can't do certain things about this story. He has 
given his word on certain things, but, but I, I can dig in there and I can dig in there and my approach is informed. And so that was the genesis of it was seeing this story and seeing that it is important. You need to read the book, huntthiskinwalker.com. We actually have like for like another week, if people go to the website and type in their email, somebody's getting a double autograph book by the two authors, Colm Kelleher and, and George Knapp. I don't even have an autographed copy. So, so I'm, we're doing that to try <laughs> awesome. to get people to engage the site, you know, and do it for another week or whatever. And that's because we want people to get caught up. We want them to read the book because by reading the book, what's coming out next, you're going to have a foundation to understand it. Well, absolutely. We'll link to that in the show notes. Again, it's hunttheskinwalker.com. The book is an absolute classic. So many times we, people request us to to redo the story. People list it in their, their favorite book of all time. For those of you listening at home who have no idea what we're talking about, yeah, absolutely. You should be the one to go and purchase the book. But the, the Skinwalker Ranch is a, a ranch in Utah where the reported phenomena really just crosses the whole gamut of, of strange activity. You've got orbs, UFO sightings, animal mutilations, strange creatures being seen, uh, poltergeist-like activity. Uh, and, you know, Jeremy, you're talking about how there's been restrictions in a way on how much could be reported on from Skinwalker Ranch. And I guess that kind of connects us to who's had control of the ranch over the years. Uh, we know that uh, the, you know, the billionaire Robert Bigelow uh, and his research team had control of it for, for quite a bit of time. Can you give us an update on where the status of that is now? I mean, can anyone go to the ranch and, and research the ranch? I mean, what's the situation? Let me demystify some of this about Skinwalker Ranch. No, it is private land. You do not go out there. You're not going to see anything. They had researchers stationed there for years, scientific research. This is the most studied scientific area on the planet. But understand, it's not just the famous Skinwalker Ranch. The entire Uinta Basin has these stories. And I'm not going to actually say stories. It has these realities. They are getting documented. They are well documented. I, I will tell you something that will highlight this fact. But but just to give you the background, the, the history of it, this is an area in the world, the Uinta Basin in, in Utah. Fort Duchesne is, is the area. It is tribal land. Essentially, Skinwalker Ranch is famously known because of the book Hunt the Skinwalker, written by George Knapp, Colm Kelleher, who is the lead scientist for NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Science, which was an organization that was put together by Robert Bigelow. Robert Bigelow is famously known as a billionaire from budget motel suites around the world. But the other thing about Robert Bigelow and kind of the important thing is he is the bleeding edge, the, the head of the privatization of, of, of space at this time in the sense of exploration and taking inflatable habitats. So when you see the International Space Station light up across your sky, know that on there is an object called beam. It's the first of its kind. It is an inflatable habitat that is now functional. And that was all because of the funds and money that Robert Bigelow put into this private space operation. Now, the logo of his company is a alien gray. I mean, that's pretty cool, but NASA still gives him contracts. He just went on 60 Minutes, which is a huge international show. And, and on that show, he, as somebody who's spent more money than anybody in getting to the bottom of the UFO mystery, he went on there and he expressed his opinion. 
not only are there UFOs, undoubtedly, he says, but, but they're here. And she goes like, where? And he says, right under your nose. And he's kind of like chuckling because it's hard to tell someone that. And she says, well, don't you think that's going to affect your, your contracts or something? And he goes, I don't yeah. care. Before she even <laughs> stopped asking the question, he yeah. says, I don't care. I got a lot of respect for him. A lot of respect for him for, for saying it as he knows it. And he's coming from an informed opinion. Now, as the person that popularized the ranch in a way, because he bought it and really it was a private endeavor. So, so there's no FOIA. You can't just go, hey, man, tell me everything you know because you should. Well, he paid for it. He assembled the team. That's his information. The only reason George Knapp and Colin Kelleher were able to write the book was because they felt that the phenomenon was decreasing at the time. And they figured, well, let's find out if there are more places like that. Well, it turns out there are. There are a lot more places like this. Uh, places really? Where, yes. Places where the world is thin is the way that I've heard some people describe it. Places where the veil to our reality appears to be perforated. There's a number of sites like this on our earth and, and, and it's historic. It's, it's throughout history that these places have had these accounts and these interactions. So it's one thing to hear about it and it's another thing to be there. And that's what I figured I had to do. So I was able recently to, I'll say, be in that area and officially first time in history that the, the, the Uinta tribe and, and, and their reservation, they allowed people to have cameras and to actually take footage off of the reservation. I am so grateful, so grateful to, and I think the reason why the, the road was paved by the book, man. They handled the topic of that area. Look, they don't want looky-loos. They don't want tourists coming out, running around for nothing. Just quickly, can you speak about the Native Americans' view of the area? What's their understanding of what's going on? Right. So from the Native American standpoint, you know, from the Ute tribe, it comes from religious traditions. A skinwalker is typically known as a shapeshifter, a sorcerer, a witch, a trickster. It's kind of a blanket explanation used by the Ute tribe of northeastern Utah, also um, uh, other tribes, to explain a, a myriad of frightening and seemingly paranormal events. Sure. Okay. And, but, but, but it's been going on for thousands of years. It, 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 it's going on now on the reservation after talking with people in law enforcement on the reservation. So imagine this, where you guys live. You call and you say, there's a creature banging on my window. It's hairy. It looks like a wolf man. And there's a flying saucer hovering over the house, beaming lights <laughs> into my windows. And then yeah. the, the cops are going to tell you, stop smoking crack. Yeah. yeah. Out there, because there have been ramifications to these types of calls, they have to take every call at face value. They need to go out there and investigate and they'll take down the report. But again, as a sovereign nation, we're not going to see, typically, we're not going to see those reports. Of course, yeah. Right. So someone asked me, you know, people like to ask a couple questions about this thing. Obviously, they want to know, have I been to Skinwalker Ranch, right? The other thing people asked me about this thing was what was the scariest or most terrifying, you know, kind of moment that you had? The thing that really drove it home and really kind of gave me that terror that, that I had not ever experienced before. 
was, was not something I saw. A law enforcement official took me aside, very closed lip, didn't want to talk about anything, wouldn't answer really much. And then I, you know how I am. Ben, I'm annoying, man. I'm annoying. I just will pushing and pushing. If I find yep. a nerve, I'm gonna I'm gonna stand on it, right? You're persistent, so anyway, man. Yeah. So I kind of do that, and and not you know malevolently. I just I'm curious, and you know I'm I'm greedy. I I want to know. You know I'm curious. So and I also care. I have actual curiosity, right? I'm not there to mock people. And he busts out his cell phone, and he shows me a video of a UFO that he filmed and I, I get sent videos of UFOs all the time and people can send them to me and I'll tell them what I think. And, and usually it's really hard to see if what you're looking at is anything of of interest because it's dark. Yeah. 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 But you know, this one was very interesting to me is what I can say. It just, it was different than than other videos that I've seen. And it's, it's not, it's not the smoking gun and I don't think I'll ever, get it from him, but it's what he said after that was the scariest thing. You know, he's a serious man in uniform and we're now in a private conversation and we're talking and we're separated from everybody. We're actually in one of the little stations and he just turned to me and in all absolute care and seriousness, he said an almost a direct quote, you need to be careful. You need to protect yourself. You are messing with something that is not good. You are actively hunting it and it's going to hunt you back. It's powerful and given the chance, it will harm you. I've seen it happen. These things will attach to you and they will follow you. People I know have been driven mad by it. And when he said that, I mean, that was like, and I knew he was talking from personal experience and I found out after what that personal experience was. I have to ask Jeremy, what was his experience? Can you tell us? I will tell that story. I, I, I don't want to harm that relationship, but, but imagine encountering something that is extremely threatening, extremely large, and it's looking at you. And you got a cop car and a siren and you're sitting there and silent and you put it all the sirens on and the, you know, after two minutes of staring into something's eyes, the thing just stands up and slowly walks away. And then after that, it appears to hunt you in your dreams. It appears to hunt you around your house. You can't go to a doctor for that. They think you're just crazy. You, you know what you have to do? You have yeah. to go to a shaman, man. And, you know, they actually had a, a shaman on deck you know, for the last day, you know, in case we needed what they call a cleansing because of the sincere worry that we were getting from certain law enforcement. I think what what, what you, we're getting into here is really tied into something that came up earlier on in our discussion when we were talking about the nature of the, the phenomenon, as you call it, in that we're dealing with something that is outside of our our Western culture's understanding. It just does not fit into our paradigm. Yet there's still an understanding of this in, you know, various uh, native cultures around the world. They still understand this this unseen world that here in the West we have completely cast out. So I'm not surprised that the warning you received was serious and sincere because I think the entire phenomenon 
and the problem of the phenomenon is something unimaginably serious. I mean, the implications of this phenomenon and how it's interacting with human beings could be the most important thing that's facing us as a species. And the restriction we have from our our worldview is this huge hurdle that's it's kind of stopping us from understanding how important it is. Has that kind of changed you in a way? Because we, we often hear from very experienced UFO researchers that they come to the same conclusions that once you start really looking into this topic, it starts looking back at you. There is a real intelligence to it and it can be very dangerous. And again, I know you, so I know that, you know, you're going to continue to be you, but has it sowed a seed of caution in your mind after hearing that warning? I, I would say that moment was very informative, but I have this ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous thing I've always had. I mean, I am completely delusional. I feel like I could never get hurt. I feel protected. But look, I'm only hearing stories. I might be screaming and running to you and grabbing your legs saying, don't ever let me study UFOs again if something really comes at me. So I can't answer that question because I have not had the experience to to say how I would react. But but I But I will tell you, it's not just tribal individuals that have given me that warning. That that warning has been given to me by scientists who have spent part of their lifetime engaging the phenomenon. We're talking about an area of the world where culturally these things are not denied. Where when the and not only that, but this is a place where it appears to be a true hotspot for the phenomenon, including UFOs. So there is a, a lot of evidence there's a lot of case history. There is a, an openness to this phenomenon in the sense that an acknowledgement of it, there's a real closedness to it as far as reaching out beyond tribal belief to like explain to people the nature of reality. So that's the dance that I'm doing right now. I'm trying to come at this with, it, with, with the same integrity that I would investigate anything with and, and come at it from a human standpoint, what the stories are that are being told. And, and we're, we're, we're trying to do it from a, a from both a scientific standpoint and, and from a journalistic standpoint. Those are the tools that we're using to essentially tell this story. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you again on the show. And of course, for everyone listening, check out ExtraordinaryBeliefs.com. Download all Jeremy's films. They're all available on the website. And of course, keep your eye on Patient17.com and HuntTheSkinWalker.com. We'll update everyone as soon as we've got uh, the details on Patient17. Can't wait to catch that in October. Jeremy, thank you so much again for joining us. Can't wait for the next time. Thanks, you guys. Really always enjoy talking to you. Mysterious Universe all the way. I love your guys' show. I'm, I'm not only on it now, but I am a listener. So awesome. Thank you guys so much. 